Okay, that's a big question. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Thank you. I've got my flannel. For those of you who are Australian, that means face washing, okay? <laughs> Why did Jesus have to die? Um, there is a panel show on the ABC, on ABC TV, and it's called Q&A. I don't know if anybody watches that. I, I watch it from time to time. And the bones of this message started nearly 12 months ago. Um, and I'll explain why. Because it's a weekly show and it normally covers a bunch of different topics which are generated from the audience. Yeah? And this time last year, an audience member asked this question and his name was David Campbell. And he asked this question. He said, my question to the, all the panellists do the events of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which lie at the heart of the Easter season, have any relevance to contemporary society 2,000 years after the event took place? Now, one of the panel members was the former foreign minister and former New South Wales Premier, Bob Carr. And he raised some pretty profound questions in his answer. This is what Bob Carr said. He said, The words of the Sermon on the Mount do resonate, must resonate. It is very, it's a very radical message. It challenges to, the, it challenges to, all, it, it's challenged to all of us about how we live our lives. The things that puzzle me about Easter is why the sacrifice was required. Blood sacrifice has a lot of pre-echoes in the Hebrew Scriptures, but why is it required? This is what he said. He said, no preacher has ever explained to me why the death of Jesus had to happen, why it was mandated, why any message from God to man had to happen by that route. What about a different way of communicating that message? Now, I don't think Bob Carr was having a tilt at Christianity. I really don't. I don't think that Bob's question was irreverent or somehow impious. Uh, I think his questioning uh, is honest and I think it's a valid set of questions. The other thing that I think is most people who sit in church pews probably have wondered about similar questions. Why did Jesus have to die? What is the point of Easter? Now let's take Bob Carr's very legitimate questions and have a crack at answering them. And for anybody else who is here with us this evening, and you might have wondered, why did Jesus have to die? So there are three basic questions Bob Carr asked. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did God choose to communicate his message this way? And these are good questions, and the answers are Jesus had to die as a sacrifice, and there was no better way to do it. And this also helps us answer the third question of why Easter is still relevant today. So there's three questions. So why was Jesus' sacrifice required? Bob Carr is wrong about the Sermon on the Mount He's, when, he, when, he, when he presents the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a challenge to live a good life. The Sermon on the Mount is not a challenge to live a good life. The Sermon on the Mount reveals to us that we cannot live the good life. It reveals the good life as, as, def, as God defines it is beyond our ability in the natural to live. The good life can only be lived in the supernatural, a life surrendered to the Spirit. The life that we live, or the lives that we live, are murky, mixed with brokenness, 
that we inherit or that is inflicted upon us by other people and the brokenness that we inflict ourselves on others as well. Our lives are like a well-worn hand-me-down t-shirt already showing signs of distress and dirt even before we wear it. And the rips and the tears only get worse the more we roll around in the dirt of our life uh, or the troubles of our life. And so our lives are nothing close to the life the Sermon on the Mount puts forward or the challenges that the Sermon on the Mount lays down. The Sermon on the Mount continues where the Old Testament law left off. One of the other panellists on the Q&A Um, on the Q&A show that night, suggested that the Ten Commandments are at the heart of Christianity's ongoing relevance to society and to civic life. And she said this, she said, if we all obeyed the Ten Commandments, we would not need all the laws that we have nowadays. You you wouldn't have to uh, be worried about our moral or ethical guidelines. While on one hand, uh, her comments are very noble, while on another... They're very, very naive, and, and she missed the whole essence of what Easter's all about. The big point of the Bible's very powerful storyline from the giving of the Ten Commandments in the second book of the Bible in Exodus to the arrival of Jesus in the 40th book of the Bible in Matthew, the big point of that storyline is that people can't keep the Ten Commandments. We are rubbish at them. We are just rubbish at them. We are hopeless at them. And we continually miss the mark. And at this great outdoor event, I'm talking about the Sermon on the Mount, it was this great outdoor event where Jesus preached to a great crowd and the event, and, and the event that, that we read from in, in this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't just stick with the Ten Commandments. He actually opened up the truth that was behind the Ten Commandments. Jesus clearly explains that meeting God's standards is much harder than it appears. Let's look at one example, for instance. Number one, oh, sorry, one of the Ten Commandments, uh, let's have a look at the sixth. The sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says, You shall not murder. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, in, starting in verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, talking about the Ten Commandments, that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is making it very clear that God asks an unbelievably high standard of people And as Jesus explains very clearly, it's all about God's perfection and God's judgment. And the last phrase, it says, will be subject to judgment. And that explains why we need a saviour. It explains why a sacrifice is needed. The Sermon on the Mount, just like the Ten Commandments, isn't a set of rules that we have to keep to live the better, to, to, that we have to keep to have a better world or to live a good life. It's a set of examples of the infinite number of ways we fail to live up to the good life God requires. The Sermon on the Mount is a mirror. It reflects back to us our shortcomings before a holy God. It shows us how dirty our T-shirt really is. 
So God requires infinite perfection because he is infinitely perfect. Heaven is for people with perfectly clean, pristine, brand new t-shirts. And only Jesus has a clean, unblemished t-shirt and he's the only one that can offer a new one for free. In the Old Testament, we get something of the sense of this kind of sacrifice that might be required by God in, in order to, to, to compensate for the lack of infinite perfection. Leviticus is an Old Testament book full of specific instructions about sacrifice. And here's a bit of a key from Leviticus. It says, If anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commandments, even though they do not know it, they are guilty and will be held responsible. They are to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect and of proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and the, and the wrong that they have committed unintentionally, and they will be forgiven. Leviticus 5, 17 to 19. Here's the big idea. Jesus is saying essentially the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Even if we don't feel like what we are doing deserves punishment, we're guilty of something. We're all guilty of missing the mark. And when it comes to God's infinite standards, like Israel of the Old Testament, we all need a sacrifice without defect or blemish. So why do we need a sacrifice at all? We need a sacrifice because the gap between us and God needs bridging. The size of the gap between a finite thing and an infinite thing is infinitely big. And there's a cost at bridging that gap. Bridging any distance tonight requires cost, doesn't it? It, it, it might require cost in, in time travelled. It might be in energy spent, in the price of an airfare in the cost of a telephone call, bridging the gap between God's infinite ex uh, existence and our finite brokenness comes at a huge cost, an infinite cost. It requires an infinite being to step into the limited and step into the restricted. And, G and in Jesus, God goes beyond that. He steps Jesus steps into our brokenness as well. Not only our limitedness, not only our restrictedness, but Jesus steps into our brokenness as well. For a sacrifice to actually bridge the gap between us and God, for a sacrifice to actually achieve atonement or compensation or apology between us and God, we need an infinitely pure sacrifice to cover that gap. We need a limitless sacrifice that is capable of paying the price for millions of people and their brokenness without running out. We need an infinite sacrifice tonight. And the sacrifices of finite animals in the Old Testament were sacrifices that had to happen over and over and over again. These sacrifices pointed to the need um, of uh, an, an, an infinite perfection and a limitless sacrifice to be made. A sacrifice that would actually bridge that gap. A sacrifice actually able to cover every bit of guilt and every bit of defect in the universe. And this is the sort of sacrifice only God is capable of making. 
And only he can make that sacrifice. We have no power or ability to make that sacrifice. Only God himself is capable of being the perfect lamb. So enter Jesus, God made flesh. The Apostle Paul, or sorry, the Apostle Peter calls uh, Jesus the Lamb of God. The God of the universe disguises himself as a human being and he walks on planet Earth. In his first letter, Peter explains that Jesus' death doesn't just pay the price to make us one with God, in other words, to redeem us, but that his death was God's plan all along. Jesus' death in our place as a perfect sacrifice is what gets us out of the hand-me-down T-shirt. Jesus' death in our place as a perfect sacrifice frees us from the empty way of life that we've inherited and into something acceptable to God. Let's have a look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in 18. It says, Know that it, is what, know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that we were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. We needed Jesus, the infinitely pure God, to enter humanity, to be our sacrifice, to be willing to willingly pay the price required to bridge our finite and messy lives, to bridge that gap with God and God's infinitely perfect life. This is why there had to be a sacrifice. And it had to be a divine sacrifice made on our behalf. This starts to get us closer to the second half of Bob Carr's question, was there any other way for God to communicate with us other than the death of Jesus. God used the sacrificial system of the Old Testament to communicate something about himself. The sacrifices people made in the Old Testament were a shadow. They were a pointer. And in reality, those sacrifices didn't work, but what worked was the faith of the people, their faith in God's promise. Promises, promises God spoke to bridge the gap. God used sacrifices in the Old Testament to lay the platform for his sacrifice for us. He used, um, he used it to teach us that sacrifice is at the heart of his character. So God's character tonight is cross-shaped. God's character tonight is cross-shaped. God is love, is defined by his sacrifice for others. When we say God is love, that's defined by his sacrifice for others. Sacrificial, self-giving, costly love is who God is. God's love is also the basis for his relationship with us. Jesus' sacrifice is required of God to firstly reveal his character and secondly to lovingly cross the divide between his infinite existence and our finite brokenness. There is no other way for God to relate to us. Therefore, 
No better way for him to communicate his love for us than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. The cross is the perfect demonstration of sacrificial love. It reveals God's character. The cross communicates something powerful. Uh, it, well, it did communicate something powerful to its first audience. And we've never lost that power in 2,000 years. Even the atheists and the agnostics understand that Easter is about sacrificial love. But this was in big, bold, neon lights to the first hearers of that good news over 2,000 years ago. To the first Christians, the cross communicated that God wasn't just willing to step into the mess of the world. He was willing to take the mess onto his own shoulders God was willing to own the mess. God was willing to get dirty. God was willing to love, uh, to love the burdened by taking their burden. Tonight, this is true sacrifice. Jesus didn't just spill blood for us to reconcile us with God as a perfect sacrifice, though he did do that and much more. Jesus also took our mess and our brokenness to the cross of Calvary. He owned the punishment. He took God's judgment. Jesus took our curse. For the Jewish Christians who were familiar with the Old Testament, being nailed to a cross was a big deal. It was huge. Jesus became less than nothing. To the first Christians, he is putting on the ultimate dirty T-shirt for all of humanity. Deuteronomy 21 says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is to be put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body, shall be remain, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. The first century Christians, crucifixion, for the first century Christians, crucifixion at the hands of the Roman authorities was a huge deal. It communicated something horrible. It communicated total humiliation. It communicated the total domination of the empire all, all over, uh, you know, it, the total domination of the empire over everybody. And you weren't allowed to be crucified if you were a Roman citizen. It was exclusively done to trample over the enemies of the empire. It was the ultimate dirty T-shirt for the Roman audience to see. There was no lower place than the place of crucifixion. And yet Jesus uses this symbol to wear our dirty T-shirt and pay the penalty. He, in effect, gives us clean shirts, clean T-shirts, bridging the gap between us and God. And to demonstrate that sacrificial love is at the heart of who God is. Jesus had to be sacrificed and there was no better way to do that. Thirdly and finally, is the Easter story still relevant? The Easter story is still relevant because it didn't end with the sacrifice. The Easter story didn't end with the, with the resurrection. The Easter story is still relevant because it's still ongoing. As it, proclaims, uh, as, as it proclaims of all humanity's ultimate reality, the Easter story is a powerful story still. It continues 
and it continues to be relevant in Australia, in Victoria, in Melbourne, in Wyndham, because Easter is the point at which Jesus stakes his claim to be the divine king of the world, who will rule for infinity. Here's how the Apostle Paul tells the Easter story and what he says about its ongoing relevance. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow or should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in answer to Bob Carr's question, the perfect and infinite God sacrificing himself for us in a response to our brokenness, it was completely necessary. If we're going to have any relationship with him, then it was completely necessary. There's no way for God to demonstrate the lengths he would go to in order to demonstrate his love for us. It's not the challenge of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not the challenge of the Ten Commandments that will set Christianity apart as a contributor to civil life or as a contributor to society's good. It's Christians tonight. It's Christians and it's only Christians who are willing to put on the metaphorical clean t-shirt tonight. Who will take the cross, who will embody the sacrificial love it demonstrates by loving others with a radical love, pointing people to Jesus. That's what's going to take to bring um, uh, society's good and contribute to civil life. That and only that will change this world for the better. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. This is the continuation of the Easter story tonight. This is what makes Easter relevant tonight. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, the judgment of God was poured on him. It should have been poured on us, every one of us, because we've all missed the mark. But the glorious truth of the Easter story is that Jesus died in our place so that we could come into a relationship with God. It's not about what rituals you do. It's not about what rituals you observe or if you've been baptised or if you give money. The fact is, you need to turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Now, if you haven't done that before, you can tonight because before you leave this place, amen, you can pray a simple prayer and know that your sins are forgiven, knowing that you will make your home in heaven tonight. So let's all stand tonight and we want to, as we stand, let's bow our heads and pray together as, as, as the guitar plays softly. So let's bow our heads as we stand and let's, let me pray. Lord, I pray that those who have joined us here, 
that may not know you. Maybe they have tried to be religious. They have tried to be pious. They have tried to be devout. They have tried to be spiritual. But none of that has worked. What they, tr- what they haven't tried tonight is that they haven't tried to say that they're a sinner and that they need help. They need a saviour. They need you, Jesus, tonight. And here you are, Lord, standing this Easter at the door of their life and knocking and saying, if, I, if, if, if you hear me knock, And if you hear me call and open that door of your heart, I'll come in and I'll sit with you. And so, Jesus, we pray, will you help those tonight who don't know you to open the door of their heart today and invite you in? As we close our service tonight, how many would say tonight, Pastor Neil, I've tried to be religious. I've tried to do the right thing. But I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if I... And making my home, I'm going to make a home in heaven when I die. I don't know if my sins are forgiven, but I do want them to be. I want Christ to come into my life right now. And let me tell you, if that's true for you tonight, by a simple prayer of repentance, you can. If you're not right with God tonight, then you can, before you leave this place, by a simple heartfelt prayer, let God know that You want him to come into your life. And that prayer is going to be put up onto the screen and everyone of us are going to pray it tonight. I don't want to embarrass anyone, so we're all going to pray it together. And if you pray this prayer tonight for the first time or maybe you're recommitting your life, then uh, I'd be be a real privilege if you just came up and let me know that's where you're at and uh, or, or even let Lucas know. That'd be fantastic. So let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. I believe that Jesus died and shed his blood for me and he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can serve you with all my heart, fully devoted to you. Thank you for new life and tonight I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.